good to see everyone tonight. Uh, glad that you're here. Glad that you chose to be with us. Uh, glad that you chose uh, not just to be with us, but to come here tonight and maybe you'll hear something that can prick your hearts that will cause you to be either to obey the gospel or to uh, be a more faithful servant of God. Um, as, as Sean was going through the announcements, and especially on some of the sick, I don't know if anybody's keeping score, but uh, the bus is zero and sickness is three. Uh, I don't know if you're keeping score with that or not, so it seems to, uh, sickness keeps seeming to win each time, so uh, we'll see how that goes for next time. So next time I put something up on the board, just think about that. That encourage you to go with us somewhere. So, uh, but we do clean it. So uh, uh, hope you hope you know that. Um, John, this morning, as uh, I was in here listening to his Bible class, and uh, as he was talking from Romans, and he was discussing about uh, Paul's struggle uh, when it was coming to uh, the law and uh, coming to a knowledge of the law and struggling on wanting to. Uh, that, that carnal body and then that spiritual body and how that spiritual death is. When I, when I thought about that, it, it got me to thinking about, uh, of course, physical death. We understand what physical death is. In James 2 and 26, it says, For as the body without the spirit is dead, uh, so faith without works is dead. So we know what physical death is. We know that physical death is that separation of the spirit uh, from the body. But when it comes to spiritual death, uh, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that he cannot save, nor his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden your face, uh, uh, hidden his face from you, so that he will not hear. So Isaiah says here it's our sins. Our, our sins is what separates us from God. And as uh, uh, Roger read just a few moments ago from Genesis chapter 2, remember when Adam and Eve, they, they chose to sin willfully by doing something that God said not to do. God said, that day you will surely die. Well, they didn't physically die that day. Some have said, well, that's when their death started. They died later on, but that's when their physical death started. But that's the day that they were separated from God. That's why they were hiding. They, they realized they were naked. They were hiding from God when he came down to the garden. So we understand that uh, what physical death is, it's the spirit separated from the body. We understand now uh, that spiritual death where uh, we're separated from God from a transgression, as Isaiah says here. It's our transgressions. It's not that God can't hear us. It's not that God can't reach us. It's the fact that we've done something to drive that wedge in between us and God. So what I want us to do tonight is, if that has happened to us, what was the cause of it? You know, if uh, someone dies uh, physically and they don't know what the cause is, they do an autopsy, doesn't they? Well, tonight, that's what I want us to do. I want us to do a spiritual autopsy. I want us to look and I want us to see our life, see what we have done if we are separated from God, see what we have done to separate us from God. And see if there's something that we might can do about it. So let's, let's take a look as we go through this tonight. You know, we're going to be our, the spiritual medical examiner, as it were. We're going to look and we're going to see, okay, what is it that caused this person to be spiritually dead? What caused this person to be separated from God? Well, we're going to see first the hardening of the skull. What's a probable cause of death? Not listening. 
What can separate us from God is not listening. We can be too stubborn. We can be too hard-headed. And this one happens to be a male, so it is hard-headed here. But, you know, when you think about not listening, there's times that we want to listen to ourselves. We want to decide for ourselves. We don't want to listen to God. That's what Paul told Timothy. Remember 2 Timothy chapter 2, first part of chapter, uh, verse 3, first part of uh, verse 4. He says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They will turn their ears away from the truth. Brother, if we want to separate ourselves from God, all we have to do is stop listening to Him. If we want to die spiritually, if we want to be separated, all we have to do is just quit listening to what God says. That's what Paul was telling Timothy. He said, you keep teaching, you keep preaching, because there's going to come a time when they don't want to hear it. What they're going to want to hear is, is have somebody come up and tell them something that they do want to hear, something that's pleasing to the ears. They'll be turned aside from the truth and be turned aside to fables from listening. Brethren, if we want to stay in the right relationship with God... We have to make sure that we're listening to what he says. Proverbs 18 and verse 2 says, A fool has no delight in understanding, but in expressing his own heart. A fool has no delight in understanding. A fool has no delight in trying to understand what God's word says. Because think about it. The only thing that we know about God, the only thing that we know about living for him, the only thing that we know about his instructions and getting to heaven is what he tells us. If we don't listen to that, what's going to happen? We're separated from God. Spiritual death. What about a little more examination here? What about a worn out jawbone? Could that be a cause? What could that be from? Gossip? Criticism? That could separate us from God, couldn't it? That can keep us from doing what God says. Not only not listening, but also doing things that He tells us not to do or doing it in ways that He tells us not to do it. In Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, There is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise promotes health. Now notice, there is one who speaks like the piercing of a sword. Why do you think there's gossip anyway? I can remember talking to an individual... One time I, I actually had to talk to him with some elders, and as I was discussing things with them, I, I, he said, I don't understand what we're doing here. And I said, I'm trying to stop a gossip. I said, things you're saying aren't things that are helpful, aren't things that in, are encouraging. He says, well, things I'm saying is true. And I said, well, it doesn't mean you have to say it. And, and the way you say it and the people in which you are telling, these are things that are, are being handled uh, uh, to help individuals, and all you're doing is making it worse. Why would anybody want to do that? Why would anybody want to use their words to hurt someone? Is it to make their self feel better? Is it to make their self look better? Uh, I mean, do we think that we have to, to uh, uh, talk about someone and, and, and tell people about every uh, thing that we know about someone and use their weaknesses against them? You know, in, in premarital uh, counsel and I discussed this this very thing. I said, you know, you, your your partner, your spouse, when you become one and you become that family, what that means is you know everything. You know their strengths, you know their weaknesses, and you don't use them against them. You encourage them. You understand what those weaknesses are, and you help in those weaknesses. And that's why we should do it as our Christian family, shouldn't it? We should be that same way. James says this in James chapter three, beginning at verse two. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. 
Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouth that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. You know, one of the most damaging things within congregations are, one of the most damaging things within families are, one of the most damaging things even within our society and things around us is the tongue. Those are things you can't take back. You, you say those things, and then they're out there. How do you take them back? Yeah, you can be forgiven. Yeah, you can say you're sorry. But how do you undo the damage? We really need to think about the things in which we say. Those things can separate us, can cause us to be separated, alienated from God. It's not God that moves. It's us that moves. So if we're trying to find out where do we stand with our spiritual health with God, if we have died spiritually, could this be a cause? Can you imagine this is the cause? We lose our soul. We, we forfeit our home in heaven because of our tongue. It's just a little thing. But look at the damage in which it can do. What about a broken neck? What if they find a broken neck with us spiritually? What's the cause of this? Looking back. Many times we do this as a Christian. We look back. Notice what Paul said about this in Philippians chapter 3. He said, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal, the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the one thing that's interesting to me about Paul Paul could look back and he could actually see all the education he had, all the, the power and prestige that he had. I mean, he was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was in that high-ranking group. He could look back and he could call upon that and say, oh, uh, you need to do as I do because look at how powerful, look at how much influence that I had. He said, I, I don't look back at those things. Matter of fact, he said, I, I counted as loss. So what did he do? He says, what I'm doing, I'm looking forward to a higher calling. I don't look backwards. See, I think we look backwards for a lot of different reasons. Paul was, said he doesn't look backwards and, and, and fall on all of his, his uh, 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 learning and education and all the, the power and prestige that he had. But many times we want to look back to our old lives. We want to look back to the, the things we had to give up. You know, the Bible talks about us counting the cost, and we should count the cost. But we can't spend our whole Christian life looking back of how it used to be. And I really think we're a lot like the uh, children of Israel looking back to Egypt. We may be physically somewhere else, but our heart is back in bondage. And we didn't realize that it was. We, we look back on it with fondness and with greatness. But it was darkness, it was sin, it was something that was leading us to a road of destruction. But we look back at it and we think that it was some great path and now we are making sacrifices. But I think sometimes we, we think about it and say, is it truly worth it? The Bible says in Luke chapter 9 verse 62, But Jesus said to him, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. What, what, is there, what, what is it that we can change behind us? It's like someone says, here's, here's how we waste our time is we, we, we think about yesterday, we worry about tomorrow, and we waste today. 
Because we just keep looking back to how it used to be. I find myself, I'm, I'm going to be one of them old men that sit on the porch and all I do is talk about how it used to be. I think that's what I'm going to be because I find myself doing that more and more. I remember when it used to be this. I, I, I catch myself now driving around and thinking, I remember when there used to be this at this particular place. Oh, this used to be a field. Now there's 400 houses over here. You know, I'm going to be one of those people. But we don't need to be that when it comes to our Christian life. Our Christian life can't be how it used to be. God tells us the truth of how it used to be. So if all we want to do is look back, that's going to separate us from God. God is going to look at us and say, you're not fit for the kingdom because you don't want to be here. You want to be back how it was. Not how it is now. Now granted, the Christian life can be tough. Sometimes I don't want to be in the presence when, uh, of my Christian life because there may be some problem I'm having to deal with or some truth I'm having to face, and it's not easy to do. That's why they, uh, the Bible says it's a straight road. It's a narrow road. It's a difficult path, but it leads to life everlasting. That's what we have to realize. It's every bit worth it. So what, what's behind is behind. I can't be looking back and just having a, a broke neck. What else are they going to find? What about undeveloped shoulders? Oh, just got smooth shoulders. They're, 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 there's nothing wrong with them. You say, well, then if there's nothing wrong with them, there shouldn't be a problem. Well, the problem is, if nothing wrong with their shoulders, that means we've not bared anybody's burden. We've not carried anything for anybody. We've not helped anybody. We've not done anything for anybody. All we've done is look out for ourselves. The Bible says in Galatians 6 and 2, bear one another's burdens... So fulfill the law of Christ. Now this is a tricky one. Because there's so much that's implied with this. I can't bear your burdens if I don't know the burden that you're going through. I can't bear your burdens if we don't have a close enough relationship where you will allow me to do that. So we have to have a close relationship as brothers and sisters in Christ to be able to do this. Many times we just go on and we don't know what anybody's going through. We don't know what anybody's dealing with. Had an issue just not too long ago. It started out as something little, but then it kind of grew. I kind of noticed it grew into to something else, and I hate to admit it, by, by my own doing it did. But uh, I, I talked with this individual, and as we were talking, then they were explaining to me, you know, I, I was telling them this is, what I said, this is why I did this, this is why I had this kind of attitude. They said, well, this is why I had this kind of attitude. This is what I was going with. And see, if you don't ever talk to anybody, you don't know what that other person is going through. You don't know why they are why they are. You don't know why they're in the mood that they're in. You don't know what they were facing, what they were going through. And if we can't help bear that burden, we, we can't do that if we don't know them enough, if we don't associate enough, if we don't fellowship enough. See, I think we, we think fellowship is just going over here and eating something. And I enjoy to eat something. But I enjoy the conversation a whole lot more. That's why I like things that we do within the congregation ourselves and even outside the congregation of getting together and doing things. Because you, you, you start learning that person. You start learning their personality. You start learning their, their lifestyle. You start you know, uh, being a part of it so you... You can know, hey, I need to help them. I need to build them up here. I need to help them through because they're, they're going through something here. Notice what else. Romans 15, notice what Paul says. 
When then, uh, we then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak and not to please ourselves, let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. I tell you, every time I read this, I think I've got to do a better job of helping a weak brother or sister. And then I realize, what if I'm the weak one? You know, I'm probably the weak one a whole lot. So I would hope somebody's going to help me. I hope somebody's going to edify me. I hope somebody's going to build me up. That Somebody's going to bear my burden. Because that's what ultimately Jesus did for us, didn't he? he? He bared the burden of sin, the greatest burden that there was. He said, let me go ahead and take that weight off of you. If you just live the way that I show you to live, if you just walk in the light as, as God is in the light, you have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ continues to cleanse you, taking off that burden of sin... And then you help each other in your just everyday things. That's a wonderful thing that he did if we continue to walk in the light. So when he says this, this isn't, he's not just saying, okay, just, just do this. This would be a pretty good thing to do. It would help you get along with each other. That, that's not the only reason he did this. That's not the only reason he said this, to bear one another's burdens. Because it's a necessity. There, there, there's things that, you know, it's hard for us to get through by ourselves, or maybe we can't get through by ourselves, or it just makes it easier if we don't have to. You know, even if we think we don't need help, it's easier when we do have help. It, it doesn't take as much out of us. We don't become as weak, because we need to stay as strong as we can, because Satan is trying to do all that he can. So could it be that I'm separated from God... Spiritually dead, just because I've separated myself from the brethren. I won't help anybody. I don't help bear anybody. I don't edify anybody. I don't help build anybody up. See, these seem like little things. As I was going through this, as I was trying to, to kind of just uh, uh, make, make the lesson work and try to think about each part, you know, I, one thing I thought, it's not just one big thing. It could be some little things. Or it could be a little thing. Now, I'm not saying we need to walk around doom and gloom and think, boy, I'm just going to lose my soul. I'm never going to be good enough. We're not going to be good enough. But the thing is, we make these are conscious efforts that we make. Either we do it or we don't do it. And it may not seem like a big thing. But when the Bible says bear one another's burdens, that's exactly what we should do. Or it could separate us from God. What else can we find? What about a collapsed chest? What's the cause of this? No breastplate of righteousness. You know, Satan is, is doing all that he can, and, and that's the kill shot that he wants to make. That's the reason we're supposed to have it. Ephesians 6 and 14 says, Stand therefore, having girded your, your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Why should we put on the whole armor of God? So we can withstand the wiles of the devil. And that's going to be his crushing blow. If we don't have the breastplate of righteousness, we don't have anything. You say, well, I've got the sword of the Spirit. How do I protect myself? You know, I've got to be living what that word says to live. That's what the breastplate of righteousness is. You know, Jesus said your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. They seem to be living religious lives. So how can I exceed that? By making sure I have it here on the inside. 
Making sure this is where it starts. This is where it's at. That I'm I, on the inside is what it's supposed to be. So the outside will be what it's supposed to be. But that's exactly where Satan wants to go is to the inside. If I can get them on the inside where they're corrupt, where they're just dead man's bones, I don't care if they're whitewashed on the outside or not. Are you going to let Satan destroy you inside? I mean, there's a warfare going on. You know, I got to thinking again, as John was saying that in Bible class, how one of the greatest warfares there are is between the spirit and the flesh, that, that, that war that we wage on the inside. We're, we're struggling with this daily, with our thoughts, so our thoughts don't become the actions that we don't want them to become, so we can take control of, of, of what's in here. Well, Satan's going to try everything he can to destroy it. To separate us from God. And again, the question is, are we going to let him? Have we let him? Is there anything that we can do about it? What else? What about a broken arm? What's the cause of death from this? Patting herself on the back. Ego, pride. Oh boy, I've done a good job here. Boy, I've just done, I've done this with lessons. Boy, that's great. I tell you what, the whole building's going to respond today. This is probably the greatest lesson. I hope they get this recorded because it's going to be the greatest lesson there ever was. I remember thinking that before I preached my first full lesson. I thought, you know, they picked me. They called me. I, I just started out and they called me. I realized later they, they called a lot of people. They just couldn't come. But I went... I was done with my lesson, and there was people still coming in because they were a little bit late for church. That's how quick my lesson went. I had nine pages front and back. Nine pages front and back, and I was done barely, barely before, before they got done singing. I wasn't up there long. I remember Joe Halfacre, bless his heart. He got up and kind of making announcements afterward, and he was trying his best to encourage me and to say something nice. He had to struggle. He said, well, he said, he's just getting started and, uh, you know, uh, uh, his lessons will get longer and, and things will start, you know, doing all right. And, and you know, it just, and, and literally there were still people walking in. Didn't realize church was over. And I thought right then, that's probably the best lesson I could ever learn. I wasn't the best thing since sliced bread. I wasn't even close. I was over there with the Ezekiel bread where nobody wants. Is what it was, you know. It was awful. But it was a great lesson. I realized I can't just be patting myself on the back. and it, it, It's not about us. It, 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 it's not about... I can remember teaching the... the uh, well, we were going over with teenage boys and uh, uh, teaching them about, you know, we developing lessons and doing different things and... Uh, I was talking to John about it, and John said, tell them one thing. I said, what's that? And he said, when they come out and shake your hand, tell you what a good job you've done, they're lying to you. And I thought, I shouldn't tell them that. You know, why, why would I tell them that? And he said, because when they do that at first and start believing that, that would go to their head. He said, you need to realize it's not about you. It's not about you. And then as John explained more what he was saying, I understood that. I mean, how often really do we go out and tell a preacher, boy, that was just awful. That was the sorriest, sorriest job I'd ever heard in my life. I've got told that a few times, actually, but very seldom. 
I mean, I get told that was a great lesson from ones I know that slept during the whole thing. I've done that. I'll go out and tell the preacher, boy, that's a good job. And if they asked me what the lesson's about, I couldn't tell them. Because I got disinterested and I just started reading scripture. I'm not saying everybody does it. I'm just, what I'm trying to say is we've got to be realistic and make sure we realize when it comes to anything that we do, it's not about just us. It's not about what we can do. It's about what God can do. Matthew 6 and 33 says, But when you do a charitable deed, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We do good because we want to do good. We do good because we desire to do good. If a minister delivers a good lesson that pricks our heart, that's because that seed penetrated. If I'm able as a Christian to do something good for somebody, it doesn't matter if anybody else knows about it. heard someone say one time they were helping get something going, sending off some, uh, 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 some like relief things to uh, uh, some storm victims. Said they all gathered together. Said there's only four or five of them that gathered everything together. But the day the truck got to leave, they called the newspaper to come out there and take a picture and said there was probably 50 people out there that day to get their picture taken. And this person said, I didn't want my picture taken because I figured as soon as that flash went off, God's glory left. It wasn't about God anymore, it was about us. And I thought a lot about that. You know, how much would we do, or how much do we do, if nobody knows about it? It could be more than you think, actually. There's a lot of people that do a lot of things, and nobody here ever knows anything about it. But God does. But there are some sometimes that we get full of ourselves that we want to do things and we want to get the glory for it. You know, the Bible tells us to, to show our good works, but not so we can be glorified, but so God can be glorified, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. 1 Peter 5 and 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all you be submissive to one another. Be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> Resist the proud and give grace to the humble. What is it about us that we actually done? We were dead in our trespasses. As Jesus said in John chapter 3, we, we were in the dark already. We were condemned already. He came to save. If he didn't come, we wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have salvation. We didn't do anything for that. Now, we have to do something to, uh, uh, to receive what he makes available to us. But if he didn't make it available, we couldn't make it available. Ourselves, it, it was up to him. So we need to make sure that we're not patting ourselves on the back when it comes to these things. What about a clenched fist if they looked at our hands from greediness? When we think of greediness, we think of just somebody who's wanting just the love of money. But greediness goes far more than that. Matthew 16 and 26 says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? This comes with, I think, the long lines of, of patting yourself on the back. It's about what we can get. It's about ourselves. It's about uh, what kind of power I can have, what kind of prestige I can have, what kind of, you know, we hear this in the, even in the church. I've had individuals... Uh, you know, even tell me personally, 
you know, I, I give more than this, so I, I should have a say in this, or I've done this, and, and it, it's all about what they've done or what they can get out of it. It becomes all about them. They want to gain the whole world. But what if you do that and lose your soul? What do you have? If you get everything that you think that you want physically, what do we really have? It can separate us from God if we're not careful. What about a missing backbone? No courage. Notice what God tells uh, Joshua here, what, about three times in this verse. He says, Be strong and of good courage. For this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn uh, from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe to do uh, according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Can you imagine the task in front of him? Can you imagine what he is tasked with, what he's going to have to... Uh, uh, endure and, and, and the things he's going to have to do. So what did God feel necessary to do for him? Encourage him. Be strong and of good courage. Some three times in this verse he tells him, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid. The Bible says that God didn't put a spirit of fear in us. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. That doesn't mean we're not going to be afraid. There's a lot of things that that I've been afraid spiritually and physically to have to do because of, as a Christian. But, but courage is not lack of fear. Courage is action in spite of fear. There's a lot of times we may be afraid. I'm sure Joshua was afraid. That's why God told him that. Sometimes it seems like we're the only ones. The world seems pretty big. Seems pretty cruel. And we ask ourselves, what can I do if I was to say something or I was to do something? What might happen? And, and, and fear can set in. It could be that Phobos fear like Saul's army had when they were facing uh, uh, the giant Goliath. They were just frozen. I said, don't be like that. When you're afraid, be of good courage. Don't be that kind of frozen fear. Overcome that. Because God didn't put a spirit of fear in us. Because he said, if I'm for you, who can be against you? With God, all things are possible. He can do far abundantly more than we could ask or think according to the power that's in us. And that's what we have to realize. What else we might find? A dear, uh, deteriorated tailbone. Now, this may get some of us. What's that from? Laziness. Ever been lazy as a Christian? Ever known you're supposed to do something just... Didn't do it. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 10 and 18, because of laziness, the building decays. And through idleness of hands, the house leaks. It's easy to get comfortable. It's easy to get in our own routine. It's easy just to live and let live. You know, we talked about that in our VBS with Stephen. You know, Stephen had a ministry within the church. He could have got comfortable with that. You say, well, that wasn't lazy. That's still a work. 
But he could have just done that and probably lived a good long life in, in peace. But he realized he still had a mission. He realized what was outside. He realized he still had something to accomplish. And we have to do that too as Christians. We have to realize God's got us here for a reason. What is that reason? To serve Him. And part of serving Him is doing the things in which He says to do. Even if it takes us out of our comfort zone. Even if it means we have to get up off the pew. Even if it means we have to get up off the recliner. Even if it means we have to change our plans. Because when you think about our life, most of the time we spend our things that we choose to do. Or choose not to do. What do we choose not to do because we've got too comfortable as a Christian? James 1 and 22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We can't just hear it and not do anything. That's as bad as not listening at all, isn't it? Actually hearing it and just deciding not to. It's even worse. Laziness can get us sometimes if we're not careful. What about locked knees? Locked knees because we don't pray. Not praying can separate us from God. It's not because He can't hear us. It's not because He can't reach us. It's because our sin has separated us from God. So maybe we've been living a life to where prayer wasn't a part of it because we knew God wasn't going to hear us. Not that He couldn't. It's because we've separated ourselves. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The Bible says in Psalms 34, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry out, the Lord hears. And delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. Many are the affliction of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them out of them all. We all have struggles. We all have things that we face as a Christian. We all have things that we need to talk to God about. We need to ask Him. We need to plead with Him. We need to talk with Him because we have struggles. We have friends that have struggles. We have sickness and we want to go to Him in prayer to help with that. But if we're separated from God, prayer is a spiritual blessing that's in Christ. If I'm spiritually dead... I'm separated from God, then that's not a spiritual blessing that I have. But we don't realize it. Who separated, God or us? Well, Isaiah 59 said it was us. Our transgressions have separated us from God. And the last one, missing toes. From what? Dragging their feet. You know, this goes along with the laziness, doesn't it? We may drag our feet. We may just kind of easy going. You know, we say, well, slow wins the race many times. Yeah, but we shouldn't have to be drugged, kicking and screaming. And many times we have to be drugged, kicking and screaming as a Christian. We don't want to do it and somebody's trying to help us or make us. The Bible says in Matthew 6 and 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. Luke 13, 24. Strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will, uh, will seek to enter and will not be able to. We can't drag our feet going through this narrow, straight, difficult path. It's going to take some effort. We can't do it kicking and screaming. 
You can do that over on the broad path. You don't have to do nothing over there. You can be lazy. You can pat yourself on the back. You can, you know, just do whatever you want to do over there. That leads to destruction. But we have to strive to enter in the narrow gate. And that takes effort. So us tonight as spiritual medical examiners, do we talk about anything that fits you? Do any of these things separate you from God? There's a prescription, though, for a healthy spiritual life. Galatians 5, 19 through 23. You know, we say all the time, if there was just a list, if God would just put something out there and tell me what to do and what not to do, He does. Refrain from adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, sedition, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, rivalries, and such like. Here's all the problems. Here's how you can fix that. Participate liberally in love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Maybe we need to examine ourselves before it's too late. You know, physically it's too late for a lot of people to find out why they died. It may bring some comfort to know. Would it bring comfort to know why we died spiritually? Does that change anything? Will it make a difference? It won't make a difference. But it can now. If you're here tonight and any of these things fit you, you don't have to be separated from God. You can walk in that light as he is in the light. You can have that fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse you from all sins. And you can have a healthy spiritual life by doing the things in which he says to do. Repent of your sins, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and be baptized for the remission of those sins. And walk in newness of life. Maybe you've done those things, but maybe there's transgressions that separate you from God. Maybe you're spiritually dead and didn't realize it. But now you do.